Are you ready to get started? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and just like that, our long cooperative endeavor here has come to an end. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready to grain some knowledge about anarchism. Wow. All right. I should actually just start handing out gold stars. This is pretty good. Right. <laughs> Or red and black stars, I should say. I used to write headlines for a grocery store, so like food puns, puns are kind are of my things. thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, food puns specifically. Yeah, one time it was bakery week, so I've done this writing exercise before. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say something like you're ready to rise to the occasion, but that's just I that was could trying be a to lot think of, of a good rise one. Yeah, I got like I was trying to get something with like crumb because like that means like your bread is good if you have a good crumb. But it's hard to do because most people don't know that unless they watch the British Baking Show like I do. Yeah, that's a real kind of low payoff one. It is. It is. All right. Anyway, <laughs> if you haven't guessed, we're not actually talking. We're talking about bread, but not only bread. Not regularly run-of-the-mill bread, but revolutionary bread. That's right, folks. We're talking about the conquest of bread. You know, bread has been running rampant for far too long. I can't wait to put it in its place. We're going to conquer it, and we're going to learn how. And eat it. From a fellow named Peter Kropotkin. If you want to read this, it's available for free at the Anarchist Library. Just do a quick Google. Just I literally Googled Conquest of Bread, free PDF, and I found it. They do have an audiobook version, but like the narrator sucked. He was just super flat. So I had to buy it on Audible. So yeah. Well, you know, he was doing it for the people. So I appreciate his efforts. Yeah, all yeah, the same. definitely. Like way to make it accessible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, you want to get into it then? Let's do it. I'm pumped. So today we'll be covering chapters one through five of Conquest of Bread. Yes, yeah. So we won't get all the way through it. The second half, I think, will go quicker. I think so, yeah. So we'll be covering, you know, kind of the basic thesis statement, stuff like that, and into some food production stuff, and we'll save the rest for next time. All right. A little bit about... Kropotkin before we dive into the meat of the episode. Uh, so like kind of a bio background on him, you know? Yeah, because there were definitely points in this where I'm like, what year is it? But I was too lazy to scroll back and check. So <laughs> what year is it? All right. So the year he writes this is in 1892. That kind of helps. Okay. That's in the gay 90s. <laughs> a wonderful time. Love he it. He was born in 1842 to a princely family in Moscow in Tsarist Russia. Another class trader. Love it. Yeah, his father was a large landowner who had serfs. Shit. Uh, and Kropotkin, like, you know, gets kind of opposed to all this early on. He stops letting people call him a prince. Like, his title was prince, you know, Kropotkin Whoa. or whatever. Uh, by the age of 12, he was already like, stop that. That's bullshit. Damn. Okay. Yeah, because he talks some major shit about serfdom. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, that was one of the things that he liked when the czar abolished that, but he was still, he's still kind of reserved. He's like, I don't know, like this, you're still a fucking czar, you know, he ended up joining a military school ca uh, called the Corps of Pages and was kind of like a liberal nerd pretty much. <laughs> okay. Uh, until he takes this post in Siberia and, cause he's like, Oh, I really want to do like, you know, a good job in a hard place. And okay. So was, he goes on a mission trip. Yeah. And, uh. <laughs> While he's there, he starts reading some anarchist books, and by 1872, he's really radicalized. He's quit the military, he's become an anarchist, and he's been disinherited by his father. After that, he's 
just kind of an academic in geography, but he's also like traveling around doing these like, you know, conferences and shit, but he's also like traveling around hanging out with anarchist <laughs> crews and stuff. I love it. He's got a gig on the side. Yeah, he kind of uses this as a cover, like, <laughs> oh, I'm just here for the rock conference, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just like drawing a map or whatever. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And But like he, you know, agitates and stuff and gets in trouble, gets thrown in jail sometimes. Like in France, at some point he gets imprisoned. Who doesn't? He roams from country to country, kind of hanging out with anarchists, writes this book in, in 1892. Later on, he ends up supporting, like, the Allies in World War One, which is That's kind weird of, for an anarchist. Yeah, like, there was a group of anarchists who write this, like, little, you know, letter saying, well, the Allies are better than, you know, the German <laughs> Empire and shit. I mean, technically true. But, you know... The rest of the anarchists, the communists, everybody's like, what the fuck? This is an imperial war. So, like, kind of bad look. So, he returned to Russia after the February Revolution in 1917. That's the, like, uh, the provisional government one, you know? Oh, yeah. He has things to say about that. Yeah. They actually, the provisional government tried to get him to join as, like, the education minister or something. And he was like, no. I, that's that's kind of a government, guys. Uh, <laughs> It's kind of like an anarchist. not my thing, yeah. <laughs> he cheers on the October Revolution when the Bolsheviks come to power, uh, but he is increasingly critical of them. He criticizes them as strongly centralized and saying, oh, you guys are leaning into dictatorship and stuff like that. Apparently, Lenin and him actually had a meeting in May 1919. They had like a little chat. That's interesting in light of what they talk about here and stuff. It's It's kind of cool. Yeah. Kropotkin ends up dying in 1921 of pneumonia. Thousands of people uh, march at his funeral with like anarchist banners and slogan. And some of them are even like anti-Bolshevik. But Lenin has like approved of it and just been like, let them do the funeral. Emma Goldman speaks there. Because he was kind of like inspirational in certain ways. Lenin definitely didn't agree with all of what he said, but he was like one of the OG kind of guys, you know. Would it be fair to say he's kind of like the marks of anarchism not a hundred percent there's a guy bakunin who comes before him who was contemporary with marx and those guys like argued all the time he, <laughs> he got kicked out of the international by marx and his followers he's his rival in the anime yes yeah <laughs> kropotkin's kind of afterward and he's the one that you know when he talks about collectivists in this work he's talking about bakunin oh okay that is interesting i did not catch that he, so he's, he's talking about, yeah, he's talking about that kind of approach. And he's like, well, I got my own newer, better anarcho-communism <laughs> and it's straight to it. All right. But yeah, that's his, that's his bio. That's the context. Uh, let's jump into the book itself. And we want to kind of just go chronologically here. Hey, you'll be really proud of me. I, I actually read the preface. I usually Whoa. skip those things. Nice. I actually put here, can take out for time because I was... <laughs> Wondering you if you would straight up even not read it. So, <laughs> <laughs> I love skipping a preface, but I did it this time because I was listening to the audiobook. They just started talking, and I didn't realize it was the preface. Ah, so <laughs> they read you the preface. They tricked okay. me. Got you. And it was like not as good. I gotta say, yeah, it was it like great. way wordier and like needlessly confusing. I thought it was a little more specific, I think, than the rest of the book. So it was not a very good preface. I think it was. Yeah. I mean, the main thing I took from it was like, okay, you know, some people say communism, socialism, it's this old idea, it can never work, you know, it sounds good on paper, 
must be bullshit. There must be something wrong with it, right? Mm-hmm. And he's like, actually, no, like it's good. <laughs> it's really a, a big, a big multi-page, like, well, actually, kind of response. Uh huh. Yeah, he gives examples of like guilds, basically, or like kind of proto unions, I would say, and like medieval peasant farmers. Like Marx talks about that too. Like, hey, mm-hmm. like communalism used to be a thing. It was just like different. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Giving those specific examples, I think he talks about the enclosure movement uh, at some point, which is like when the bourgeoisie of England and and Europe more broadly start privatizing common those those village com, common lands in like the 18th and the 19th century, which would have been you know right prior to when he's to when he's writing this. So he's he's got this kind of people alive that are talking to him. Remember this, you know? Yeah, yeah. I did like that he pointed out that socialism at first tried kind of the great man theory of like, oh, we just like need a guy to lead us and then we mm-hmm. can do socialism. Yeah. And it was like, nope. that that's a bad idea. <laughs> and he's critiquing these group, these revolutionary groups that were still kind of heavily influenced by like propaganda of the deed and this sort of like insurrectionary anarchism and stuff that was like, let's go kill some people. <laughs> let's start a secret society and rise up, you know, and it, you had, you had characters like advocating that they're really, you know, doesn't turn out to be useful. He talks about several of these revolutionary attempts and stuff, the revolutions of 1848, um, the 1830 French revolution, all these things that like don't work, you know, and it's like they have like kind of socialist ish ish undercurrents that don't pan out. Well, I mean, I feel like I just need to take a fucking course on French history because this whole book was just like France, France, France. <laughs> uh, so he wrote a very well-regarded book, at least in leftist, or at least Lenin was all about it, about the uh, history of the French Revolution, super oh, okay. in detail. So that's why he's so obsessed with it. Okay, <laughs> great. That's his pet project. It. Yes, yeah. He's uh, <laughs> like a historian of that, you know? Okay, great. I was like, how, I mean, you said he was in jail in France, so I guess he lived in France for a while. Yes, yeah. That was okay. one of his, one of his haunts. <laughs> his geography haunts. Yeah. All right. Uh, so chapter one, Our Riches. I wrote a summary for basically the whole book. So if you like don't want to read this book. <laughs> or don't want to listen to us talk I guess, about it for yeah, a while. You <laughs> <laughs> but you still want to support us. Um, weird yeah. combo. Um, you can go to our Patreon and you'll have access to our notes for this. So I have something. I used to call them dummy summaries. Now I call them Christine summaries for the people. And yeah. I basically wrote that for the entire thing. I mean, I can give one for this section, though, which is just, hey, we're really good at producing things now, guys. We did it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he starts out this. And so it's like chapter one and then subsections, right? So uh, this is subsection one. And yeah, he starts out kind of with an in the beginning (laughs) sort of thing. (laughs) Uh, We know primitive man and all this. But you're right. Yeah, we've built up a ton since then. Yeah. We've, we can make so many things, and, like, guys, climate's not even an obstacle anymore. <laughs> that was the most hilarious sentence. <laughs> Literally, climate is no longer an obstacle. Ugh. Oops. Yeah, I mean, yeah, a lot of people didn't know about it back then, at that point. But it's it's very, um, this part is, is kind of about m- the marvels of modern industry and everything. It reminds me very much of Marx's writing and Engels' writing, talking about just how much more productive 
the productive forces are under capitalism, how much more shit we can make, you know? Yeah, basically the idea of like, yeah, we got enough. Like, don't let's listen to people who tell you like, we're it's all scarcity. Yeah, and he's, I think it's here that he starts introducing this concept of that this has happened over a long period of history. That this is like the wealth of generations built upon generations. Yeah, I really like this. So basically the idea of like, you can't really own anything. <laughs> I mean, you can own your toothbrush. Don't worry uh-huh. about your toothbrush. But you can't, like, lay claim to land because it's like, well, you know, like, let's say you buy a house. Like, well, you didn't build the house. And you also, like, didn't develop the land. And you also didn't develop the city. And, you know, like, there's these generations of labor that have worked the land to make it, like, valuable. To make it a good place to be. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting to look at it that way. I think it makes intuitive sense uh, I think uh, so. to, to, to lots of people, you know? And I like how he brings it back to like intellectual property too. It's like, even if you invent something new, you're building your work off of previous ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the, science is, is, I mean, it's not linear, but like it's, but it's, it's building on itself. Yeah. It's standing on the shoulders of giants is the, you know, the expression, right? We all, we, we learned from our predecessors and that's what we're building off of. So he says, okay, we've got this fantastically wealthy planet, place, civilization. Why then are the many poor? (laughs) Great cue. I mean, we're always standing around asking that, right? Yeah. I mean, he gets right to it. He's just like, it was a robbery. A long (laughs) story of of robbery and forced migration and wars of ignorance and oppression taking advantage of alleged rights acquired in the past. These few powerful people who have, you know, robbed everything, they appropriate today two-thirds of the products of human labor, which it's probably only worse, you know? I mean... (laughs) I'm sure it's way worse. I know some of the numbers he gives sometimes you're like, ooh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, like, a few people have seized this for themselves, and now the rest of us are condemned to make shit, to make them money, not even make shit, like, for our own benefit necessarily like that is not the point the point is to make them money he brings it up here a little bit and he brings it up more pointedly later definitely tying it back to like imperialism as the idea of like you know this came at a fucking blood cost you know this was enforced labor this was violent this was this had a cost i found surprising i guess his kind of international grasp in that way me too. I wasn't expecting it. I was like, wow, good job. It's not his focus, but like, it's cool that he has this kind of understanding of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's good that he references it. Where he kind of, he kind of talks some more about what we were saying, everything being intertwined through all of humanity. You know, this is where he says, by what right then can anyone whatever appropriate the least morsel of this immense whole and say, this is mine, not yours. I love that. That is like the dispossessed yes. all the way. <laughs> you can't Don't have be things. Proprietarian, yeah. <laughs> it just reminded me of the like much, you know, stupider quote, you know, the Obama quote. You didn't build that, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's right. That's right. I mean, but I mean, th- but in true, a way though. that actually makes sense is yeah, like <laughs> you didn't like you're you're not wholly responsible for that like sweat of your brow created all this stuff like that's not what it's about. It makes sense. Though that is in fundamental conflict with the Marxist tradition of saying 
we are going to make sure that the producers of society, which are the workers, get what they deserve instead of being ripped off by their boss. Because you're like really focused on what do they produce? You're saying everyone deserves everything instead. Yeah, this is more saying like, well, we can't actually determine what everyone produces. So let's just let everybody have it. The way he talks about generational like work, especially as it relates to the land. Mm-hmm. I listened to this podcast about, it was about like a Native American like adoption case. Mm-hmm. And it was like this really fucked up story of these like white people were trying to adopt like an indigenous boy and there's like laws around it like because people is historically have done that in a way that like kind of it's kind of genocidal like it's like oh well if we adopt them we send them to schools you know yeah we're trying to get rid of their culture sort of thing yeah but i mean they were just talking in the podcast about like just the connection to culture and specifically land um Mm -hmm. in like these i think it's navajo and cherokee tribes Oh, the, the podcast is called This Land. It was really good. It was really interesting. It was really fucked up. A very infuriating lesson. Yeah. <laughs> if our yeah. show doesn't make you angry enough. Sure, sure. Right. <laughs> but I I just, I was thinking about that, like, in the idea of, like, we are very disconnected from the land. And I think a lot of this book is about kind of going back to the land, but not in, like, a, like, primitivist kind of way. Uh-huh. It's in, like, a, it's good for you It's way. more of a holistic <laughs> sort of way. And very much at the end there when he talks, kind of gets very utopian, starts talking about like all the details about everything. Yes. It is very holistic, though. It's like got an approach of like, and we'll get into it later, but, you know, well-being as the center of everything. Yeah. But I guess my point was that I like this idea of like almost like a like an ancestral reverence to like mm. people who came before you being like, yeah, like they did all this shit for me. And like, mm-hmm. I think we're good at that on a like a familial level, like a much more individualized level. Yeah. But feeling more like almost in debt to society. Mm-hmm. We can increasingly not do this in, in history. People are, uh, histories get more and more fragmented in a good way because histories were kind of like. Like canonized. They were canonized in this monolithic white way, you know, for a mm-hmm. long time. Uh, so it's good that there's more diversity, but I think that the other side of that is that everyone, no one feels too much of a connection to any one historical story, really, because the histories, and he actually gets into this, are all about, like, the powerful people. Oh, I, yeah, I have opinions on that for sure. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, th- I see what you're saying. Like, this, this, there would, it would be cool to have this connection to society's history as a whole, or, like, the, the things that people have done for us together as a people. I think there's just a lot of bad shit we have to destroy for us to start like feeling good about the stuff that's Absolutely, left. Absolutely, you know? yeah. <laughs> and I think that's sure. what he gets into here in part three. The system as he sees it in 1892. And it sucks. <laughs> it sucks for sure. I mean, he goes into like the wage system and mm-hmm. how it's like bad. <laughs> yeah. Gives an example of like a farmer having to sell all of their produce and they like don't get to eat basically because they're paying taxes and they're paying their landlord and they're paying tariffs. And I I really love this comparison to feudalism because we think we've gone past that. And it's like, we're still doing it guys. Hell yeah. He says the child of the worker on entering life finds no field. They may till no machine. They may tend no mine in which they may dig without accepting to leave most of what they will produce to a master, their parents and grandparents. Gave to the work the full measure of their strength, but their heir comes into the world poorer than the lowest person. The worker is forced 
under the name of free contract to accept feudal obligations. Everything has become private property and workers must accept or die of hunger. Like it is really just holding the knife to your throat. Like yeah. fucking work, take these shitty conditions and I get the profit. Yeah. And, and, and lest we think this is a relic of the 1890s. <laughs> I mean, we're sitting here, their grandchildren and great grandchildren. You know, we come into life, many people finding no job to pay us efficiently, a living wage, no homes we can afford to own, no doctors we can afford to visit, no planet that's going to let us survive as people for long even. Uh, we're forced to accept our boss's term if that's working off the clock or gig, gig contracts or answering your emails at all hours or, you know, just do this for us. Come on, we're a family, <laughs> whatever. You know, that's all under the name of free contract and you accept or you die. You could go work somewhere else. You could always leave. And it's like, I, mm -hmm. I can't. Like, it'll also just be shitty there. Yeah. Yeah. You guys run this whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> you are every game in town. <laughs> yeah. It is very, very much the same. And it's, it is just repeating itself violently. Like, I mean, we're fucking talking about company towns again. Like, yeah. Jesus. <laughs> we cry shame on the feudal baron. We call those the barbarous times. But this, this is it too. <laughs> I get particularly upset because whenever you go back to, like, the beginning of this, like, if you do want to look at feudalism, it's like, it's because a guy could beat up another guy. Like, yes. That's what it comes down to. It's like, I'm bigger and stronger than you, and I'll fucking crush you. And that's what it still is today. That is just imperialism. Mm-hmm. It boils down to might makes right. And the only counter we have to that is a might of a different sort. The might of the masses, right? That's the only thing we can use to stand up against the might of organized capital, the might of the military, you know? It's true. It's true. Because at the end of the day, like, there are more of us than there are of them. Yep. He gets a little bit into, like, the economics of speculation and, like, panics and things like that. Basically saying, like, well, you get these workers who are, like, exploited and they don't get paid enough, so they, they can't even afford to purchase whatever it is they're making, so you open foreign markets and then you start some wars to make sure you keep the foreign market. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you make up a whole science, uh, which is called economics. <laughs> to tell everyone why it is the way it is and should be that way, you know? Yep. I thought that was interesting, yeah, because he, he kind of touches on kind of Marx and Engels' whole conception of anarchy of production, right? That The bad sort of anarchy, the, that <laughs> market chaos is what we mean, you know, and just industrialists producing as much as whatever they can to make a profit. You're right. Without consideration as to who's going to buy this here. And then they just gallivant off the war to, to make sure they can sell it somewhere or, you know, exploit people to make it even cheaper so people can afford it. It's fucked up. This kind of stuff we've already talked about before on the pod. So. Sure. Let's get though to what he talks about as kind of a prescription. The right to well-being. Well, before that, though, I think is a little bit interesting because he says, you know, without uprightness, without self-respect, without sympathy and mutual aid, humankind must perish. Uh, we must return to truth or cease to exist. I like that line, return to truth or cease to exist, because before that, he talks about how, I mean, he's talking about it with economics, but I think you could apply it to like everyday stuff too. There is kind of like a hypocrisy in, in our system of just like, oh, if you work hard, you'll make it. Yeah. And you're like, I know that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone can see that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that is basically 
what the system is. It is just lying to people to convince them to not be upset. And so the idea of like, yeah, we all are going to have to face some hard truths of like, yeah, this isn't fucking working. That makes sense. That makes sense. On first reading, it seemed more like a, like a moral plea, like just kind of like, Hey, we need to get right. Like, I mean, you guys need to stop being <laughs> corrupt, being like bad and start being oh, okay, good. I see. You know, like I see. be upright, have self-respect all this. And you know, it's not bad for people to have this. It was just kind of like, are we going to convert everyone into being good? Like, <laughs> no, I viewed it more of just like being realistic. Yeah. Like putting society back on a sound foundation of like what we should be like setting the goals appropriately again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Instead of pretending that we can all survive in the system, which we obviously cannot. Yeah. Pretending like the system has a goal besides the enrichment of a few. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm hopeful that we're getting there. <laughs> the, the youth seem to have it together. We got a lot of teen listeners. Well, yeah. And, uh, you know, at least we have been doing a good job. I don't mean you and me personally. I mean, like <laughs> our society has been doing a good job of showing how much the current system does not work. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's pretty bad out there. <laughs> so to the extent that that is, quote unquote, a good job, it's doing it anyway. <laughs> it's a good job and a bad job. So aside from that, I, I guess I got hung up in the terminology there. I think your reading is better there. Hey, thanks. He rounds out the section with that rousing cry. All things for all. All is for all. What we proclaim is the right to well-being. Well-being for all. <laughs> he loves in all caps. I love it. Heck yeah. He's such a poster. <laughs> <laughs> and and he straight up calls out things like right to work which i love mm. he's just like fuck that we're not doing that yeah <laughs> and he he tears them the fuck apart later yes so. for sure it's great uh he's not about that he's not about dividing it up and we can, can already see the shadows of it when he's talking about like how you can't figure out what everyone's individual contribution is you know chapter two well-being for all he's he's like let's get into it okay christine summary for the people once again, we got enough shit. We can do it. And we have a lot of people who aren't producing things and being helpful. Like you have like middlemen and like, you know, marketing and sales and all the bullshit jobs, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sectors of the economy that do not need to be there. Yeah. And then he talks a little bit about the productive powers of like the population versus like the amount of population mm. and how that like yeah. is a very disproportionate relationship. Mm -hmm. That was a lot of big words. Let me explain. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> as we get more people, you would think that our production would like go along with that, like in a straight line. It actually is like way more like we, we learn how to produce faster than we can reproduce. Arithmetically versus geometrically. Ooh, math. Yeah. Well, it just means a one-to-one -one versus like a whomp, an exponential or something. A big up curve. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> that was the math I knew. <laughs> I'm down to saying whoop. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's the up top summary on chapter two. He kind of bemoans the increase of what he calls idlers and middlemen, mm -hmm. like those guys I was talking about, and saying that like instead of just having to take down a few millionaires, which I'm like, well, that's cute. <laughs> <laughs> Now, like, there's a swarm of parasites, which means you have more people who are, like, have a vested interest in this system, which oh, I think okay. is absolutely true. Yeah, you have a larger class as your class enemy. Mm-hmm. More people with a stake that they think that they're going to lose. And certainly we see that in America. I mean, like, come on, every oh, yeah. four years you get people saying, like, but my 
I'm going to lose my employer health care, which I hate, by the way, but I'm going to lose it, you know. <laughs> I'm going to complain about it all the time, but I still want to keep it. And a lot of it is people are deluded into thinking they are just going to lose that completely. Whether it's, you know, your health insurance company, which you're going to lose and get replaced with something better, right? <laughs> or yeah. like, oh, I'm going to have to share my house with four other families. It's like, no, you're not. Like, just no. no. Unless you have a gigantic house. <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, people, you know, there's, there's so much propaganda out there. Oh, for sure. Uh, he, so, yeah, he's, he's talking about, you know, we, how we would definitely be able to produce enough for everyone. We would cut out all those parasites like you were talking about, making the man do actual work. <laughs> and we'd stop restraining production on things because the reason that we're keeping some things artificially scarce, whether through actual not producing much of it or by simply keeping people from using those things unless they pay enough money. All that's done to make a profit. One big modern example that we've talked about on the show before is the housing supply. Oh yeah, that's very true. You know, I mean like if that were taken out of the market and just done for human need, every single person who's currently unhoused would be housed and they'd probably have a vacation home too. (laughs) Probably. Yeah. Yeah. We've all seen the crazy images of, like, potatoes getting destroyed and, like, you know, all the food waste in this country. Like, there's enough fucking stuff. Yeah. We have enough stuff. And he talks about that somewhere, talking about, like, tossing out the oysters or something like that. And, I mean, like, they had food waste back then, too. It's like, there's no fucking need for that. No, absolutely not. And if you're thinking, well, of course you have enough stuff, you're the United States. Like, we have enough stuff for everybody else, too. <laughs> mm-hmm. We do. <laughs> We're good. But but it's it's like he describes here, you know, you have the, the, the peasants in far off countries exporting things that they could eat themselves, but they can't afford to. And again, that's the thing there is the profit motive is corrupting the productive forces that we like. The, the, our capacity to make enough stuff for everyone is all misguided and all messed up and producing all the wrong things in the wrong quantities for human needs because it's not about human needs. You know, it's about making money. Yeah, it's production for profit instead of production for consumption, basically. And so, yeah, that that's why we need well-being for all. And if it sounds like, so, I don't know. I guess I have a bad habit of like, presenting things in the best light of their of whoever's <laughs> work it is so mm-hmm. like i'm going to be kind of putting on my anarcho-communist hat today and so anyone who's like well i thought you were marxist leninist is going to be a little more disappointed <laughs> in me today because i'm gonna be like yeah this stuff sounds cool i mean i'm for whatever we do man honestly like <laughs> yeah we've said that before we're <laughs> Easily influenced. Multi-tendency, easily, yeah, easily influenced. Uh, <laughs> Whatever I read last is what I agree with the most. <laughs> yeah, which makes it sound just stupid, but... It does sound um, really dumb. I think I steadily tend towards anarcho-communism. Yeah, it's one of my original loves, I guess. But I find myself more swayed by by more Vanguard Party stuff nowadays. But anyway, mm-hmm. point is, we'll, <laughs> we'll be there at the barricades when shit pops up, pops off, yeah, regardless yeah. of who's leading it, and we'll figure everything else out after. um sorry an aside there just because it occurred to me that i'm just like hell yeah (laughs) let's do it Um, but okay all right he gets into you know we make a lot of useless shit we're wasting all of our productive value again so you know not even just luxury goods like you know we don't need a million yachts and shit like that but he gets to like (laughs) the military like 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Our military budget is insane. If we just, like, didn't do that, do you know how much shit we would have? And it's and it, the crazy thing about the military budget is not just how much money it is, but it's, like, money purely devoted to killing people. Like, <laughs> it's, it's insane. It's just, uh, I mean, again, if you take that context and switch it to what are we trying to do to provide for human needs? Like this is the one thing you would definitely not spend money on is a way to kill people. It's just, it's wasteful. And just in terms of money, you're not spending on good things, but you're actively spending it on bad things. I mean, he gets into judges, prisons, and the police. Another one where you are not trying to care for people. Uh You are just fucking torturing them. Yes. Yeah, for sure. These are all ways that we can vastly improve our capacity for producing things getting rid of that shit getting rid of the biased press um, which i guess of course we're out of a job because we're biased but, i know um, i know <laughs> uh, but we're not the press we don't have press passes that's true <laughs> and we're biased and on their side maybe they'd let us keep going yeah maybe um, we have to disavow all of our marxist leninist shit true <laughs> Go delete those episodes in the backlog <laughs> <laughs> yeah save download those so you still have them. whatever they're anarchists what are they gonna do put us in jail that's true uh, well, they'll just kick us out. <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll have to go live alone. Uh, advertising, no more of that. Sorry. <laughs> That's cool. I don't care. I don't like it. And just like <laughs> in general, doing shit for rich people, spending human toil on objects absolutely useless or destined only to satisfy the dull vanity of the rich. <laughs> My favorite part was straight up calling out things that are just injurious to people mm. but are profitable. And I'm like, that's just like the wellness industry. <laughs> and yes, like, yeah. There's so many industries where it's like, this is an actively harmful product. And when we're making money off of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, people draw the line in different places. You could be like, oh, yeah, this food's bad for you. But I'm like, you know, we're not about like policing that, I don't think. But I, there, is, there is shit that like is just literally bad, too. Yeah, for people yeah. To and have. yeah, I don't want to police it. But if the profit incentive was taken away, I think you'd have less of that. Yeah, well, and I think the advertising part is a big portion of it, too, because so many of the things that people consume, they're just like pumped full of ads to be convinced that they need it in the first place, you know? And just the price of things. Like a lot of people are put in these situations where like that's all they can afford and like... Mm -hmm. That won't be a thing. You can yeah. afford to eat like good food you, and you yeah. can afford to, then we're going to get into a lot of like outdoorsy talk too. So like, you're going to be probably just like healthier all around. Yeah. And that's not even like the benchmark you need to hold yourself to or anything. You know, we're not for that, but like. It'll be good for you, I guess. Yes. It's, 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 not like in a health, like weird weight way, just like, you know, like a, it'll probably be nice. You will enjoy it more. Again, <laughs> well-being. That's what we're yeah. about. Not yeah, wellness, like in terms of coping. That's not what we mean. We're talking like freeing you to be how you, how you want to be. I don't know. That's cheesy, but like, you know. That makes sense to me. <laughs> I liked this line where he's like, basically, if we do all this shit, eventually it's going to be like, enough. We have enough. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I just pictured them trying to like swim through all of the goods yeah, that they produced. Yeah, they're pushing back a pile of bread. Like, stop it! But that is interesting, <laughs> though. You know, it follows this line of like, yeah, man, we're going to be producing so much shit. Like, one of the things, not just like, let's focus on not working, but another thing we should be focused on, even throughout this whole course, is let's not make too much shit or exploit, you know, the earth too much. Like, and he has a pass on this just because of the time, but like. That would be one thing we would be updating these thoughts with is 
let's not just focus on how much shit we can make, but... <laughs> Yeah, because even like the first page where he was like, we've cleared the forest and drained the swamps. I'm like, uh, some of those things are bad. <laughs> that was an ecosystem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, ooh, okay. But yeah, that that is a good point that like we have enough. And if we got to a point where like people are taken care of and like, yeah, we, we don't have to overproduce and like strain resources and we can still be responsible. We can fucking do this. It's not a dream. Like, I'm going to show you how. Let's get into it. Yeah. It's, it's expropriation, baby. Yeah. Heck yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, like, right, we got to figure out how are we going to get to this point? Because otherwise... Yeah, yeah. If we have enough stuff, like, great. But all these guys have it. What do we do? <laughs> yeah, we can produce all this shit. Where we have the capability. Mm-hmm. But again, we are not doing it because assholes are in charge. <laughs> and do they do? don't want to do that. They just want to make more shit for themselves. You know, they are dragons. In the bad sense, in the old school <laughs> hoarding of everything sense. Like, that's what, you know, how do how do we get rid of that? We have to slay the dragon. <laughs> uh, and the means, according to Kropotkin here, is expropriation. Expropriation. It's cute. He thinks it's going to happen in a very few years. Oh. He was uh, he lived to 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 be disappointed with that one. So <laughs> he did. Uh, I like oh. that he immediately says it can't be done through legislation. No one imagines that. <laughs> I love that he just dismisses it. Just, That's like, really no. dumb. Like no. <laughs> <laughs> um, excuse me. You don't think wearing a dress that says "Tax the Rich" is going to start expropriation? <laughs> oh man! Oh, don't have heroes. That was, that was entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, some people needed to be reminded, don't have heroes. (laughs) It's not a good idea. I like that he says, like, we oftentimes focus on, like, the dramatic side of the revolution and not on the practical side. I'm like, ooh, that is, that's interesting. Yeah, I think I kind of, I have mixed feelings about that because I feel like a lot of times we get hung up on the practical side of, like, well, how's everybody going to eat? And, you know, like, we get a little utopian, whereas, like, I'm kind of a big weenie and I don't want to do the dramatic part. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. But he does like also right here say um, that it is going to be violent. I mean, he says there's going to, I mean, it's going to break now its bonds by violence and realize itself in a revolution. Like it's going to be an insurrection, but you're right that he does draw this distinction between the dramatic, the struggle, the insurrection part, and then, what is the real revolution? And he keeps saying like, well, that's not, the, you know, maybe there'll be some, some vengeance and, you know, some reign of terror shit and people are going <laughs> to lose their heads. Okay. That's still not even the revolution we're talking about. That's still like the violent overthrow, the turmoil, but that's not the real thing. And then he starts shitting on basically like power grabbers. And mm-hmm. it's like, this is also not really a revolution. Like, he shits all over provisional governments, basically. <laughs> it's very entertaining. Yes, that's a good passage. I drew a little fancy man next to this paragraph because he's <laughs> talking about how like everyone's going to try to get like an embroidered cap and a sash and all this. Yeah, and I'm like, the, you know, the people's first comrade, blah, 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 you know. Mm-hmm. Everyone gives themselves a title. They make decrees. I love the story about how apparently during the revolution, Robespierre mm. was like, discussing his treatise on the English constitution. It's like, guys, we're in a famine. Can we like not? <laughs> and he's making everybody vote on this. And they're, you know, probably all like, mm, this is very interesting, you know, but like people are starving in the streets uh, outside. <laughs> it's just like, it is so 
like perfect. Like that is yeah. what people do. Like they get very high and mighty. They get, and it's not just a pure power thing. Although I think it is definitely has that and definitely some ego. Yeah. But it's like everyone gets caught up in like the abstract of uh-huh. like, we're for freedom. We're for revolution whatever it is. And like you have real material needs that need to be addressed. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. So yeah, he's, he's, he's kind of outlining, okay, what's the revolution going to be? It's again, it's not the insurrection part, you know, that is necessary. You got to get rid of uh, the previous order. But if you just, you know, if you replace it with, you know, jackasses like this who are just prancing about, like, you're just going to end up with (laughs) new masters having overthrown the old ones. Yeah, yeah. So you could say that's like, it's almost like a revolution aborted. Like you, you started it, but you didn't actually like change anything. Yeah, the real revolution is changing the, is changing like the social order, right? Is changing who's in charge in society, like who holds the power, like long term, you know. And if you just hand it over to somebody else, then I mean, okay, you're you're back it's where you started. It's gonna be the same. Yeah, <laughs> they're gonna talk about bullshit while you starve. Yes. Uh, I, I did like this kind of like spirit of revolution thing he's talking about. People take up the task of directing their destiny, right? He says, ardently discussing public affairs in which all take interest. Those who yesterday were most indifferent are perhaps the most zealous. I thought that was cool because it's, you know, politics is so alienating now. I mean, like, even if you get somebody, you know, ostensibly kind of working class and working for their interests, you know, in kind of a sock dem style Bernie or someone. Right. I mean, it's still so hard to pry people into thinking that anybody gives a damn in the political system because it's so clear, right. That they don't. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what makes this whole reading pretty impactful because it does like bring it right into your home. It's like, here's what it's, what we're going to do. Like we are, you are now working for, everybody and you are providing things for everybody and like it is like very it's very home-based it's not like abstract yeah and you are the mover you are the agent of this history like he gets into later how his again history is like all about those you know puffy shirted people uh and here that's you like you you and your fellow people you're the ones moving history there is no boss there is no demagogue there's nobody there's no general leading you that's crazy and that's cool. I don't know. It's like, yeah, like, but yeah, like that's never <laughs> happened. <laughs> I mean, it's happened in very small cases mm-hmm. and like in like, like certain like kind of insular societies, but like that's never been like a system. Well, it's not really a system, but you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It hasn't been widespread for long. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that's cool. And yeah, so he kind of wraps up the whole wannabe revolutionaries only looking out for themselves, making sure they get their salary paid regularly. <laughs> One group he shits on a lot is the Jacobins or the Jacobins. Who are those guys? Oh, the Jacobins. Okay. I just know the magazine. Yeah, that's that's the inspiration. <laughs> they were called the Society of the Jacobins, Friends of Freedom and Equality, a.k.a. the Jacobin Club. They were a political club in revolutionary France, of which there were many. There were a lot of these political clubs <laughs> at the time. I imagine it's like football clubs. <laughs> Everyone has a jersey. Uh, yeah, I mean, kind of. It's like, uh, you know, everyone meets and talks about politics. This particular one, the Jacobins, were around from 1789 to 1794. It's not that long. Yeah, uh, well, the revolution pops off and things happen. <laughs> they don't do well. <laughs> well, so they had different wings of their club. They had the more left-wing 
group called the Mountain, the Montagnards. Uh, you have the more right-wing group called the Girondin. Those are kind of factions within them. And then uh, Robespierre, you know, who really cared about his treatise on the Constitution, uh, <laughs> he had the support of the Jacobin like as a whole. And in particular, there was just more of the like centrist-ish group um, and the Mountain, the left-wing group. Those were his, and especially the Mountain, those, those were his power bases. And when okay. he ends up taking control of the government and does the reign of terror, he goes after his opponents uh, and eventually gets executed. And then the guillotine turns on him and his supporters. And that's when the Jacobin Club closes down. Whoops. Okay. Weird name for your leftist magazine then. Uh, Kropotkin seems to use this kind of derisively. Yeah, seems like it. <laughs> um, and for him, it seems to be more of a, a what we would call kind of a statist socialist. Or, yeah, that's the vibe I got. Yeah, more, someone more willing to use uh, the government to force people to do things. Let's mandate it, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, very much like they care more about the rules than the results. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the vibe I got from them. Yeah, that's true too, because I don't want to just paint it as, I don't believe this, that like, oh, if you just have rules, that's bad. Like <laughs> um, it's, it's why you're doing it. You're right. Like if you, if that takes precedent over the, over the results, then that's when it's bad. Okay. He gets into the next section here. Like, okay, how do we not like turn into jerks? Yeah. Just yeah, yeah. discussing bullshit. <laughs> and one might say, Okay, well, one way is to organize better, right? To have your party not separated from the masses, but have it talking like that. But that's not the approach he goes with. Let's talk about his approach. (laughs) His approach is just say everybody has the right to live, guys. It's an idea. (laughs) Hey, I mean, like, that's a pretty good idea, though. You know, that's a great idea. (laughs) It seems really basic. I'm not super into like, well, let's just convince everyone of how to do it right. And that'll fix it. But. This is a cool, like, concept, so. <laughs> it's a cool concept, and I think even if you're not on board, like, on an abstract level, I think the results would be very good. And, like, yeah. you could, maybe if you don't get someone on, like, philosophically or something, you could still be like, hey, like, we're going to give you shit, and, like, your life is going to improve. Yeah, yeah, it has concrete <laughs> outcomes for people who, yeah, you're right, might not care okay, like that's a weird thing you're talking about, but I'm going to have everything I want and I'm going to work less. Okay. You know, I'm down. (laughs) I'm down for that for sure. I like this line where he says it would consider the needs of the people before schooling them in their duties, which to me, that really exemplifies his dichotomy between like anarchists and like the Jacobins. Mm, Okay. So yeah. Like there's very much a duty of like, well, the people have to be patient while we figure out our government and then they can get wages and then they can get, you know, he talks about later like labor checks, like, and then they can follow our rules and, and be happy. Yeah. 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 It's very, yeah, you're right. He puts first, the human needs and then worries about, okay, well, what do we need to do to make sure those get fulfilled? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's, that's not a bad way to do it. Not a bad approach. I don't think he says, okay, well, okay. How are we going to make sure this happens? We can't do this through acts of parliament. (laughs) Once again, fuck that. He has a whole chapter shitting on parliament. Yes. Which is, which is great. You know? Yeah. They're not good. Parliaments, Congresses. I mean, like, if they were that powerful, they just wouldn't be allowed, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> right. and we see that, like, and we've seen that in American history to be, to be specific when, you know, 
Franklin Roosevelt was doing, you know, the New Deal to save capitalism, really, and introducing a little social democracy in their light, you know. The Supreme Court starts stepping in and stomping all over him, you know, like they're there to make sure that, like, capital doesn't fucking lose their lunch. Absolutely, yeah. These systems are in place for a reason. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if, you know, if you start to get too much from it, you're going to find out they're going to change the rules. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, they are. So... Parliament, not the way to go. Okay. Then the way to do it is straight up take over everything immediately. <laughs> yeah, basically. It's just like, just get the shit, guys. Come on. And I like how he, <laughs> he immediately follows up and just says, this is the only really scientific way that this is going to work. Like, <laughs> you, could, you know, your immediate response is, dude, what? We're just taking over everything? Like, how utopian? Like how and he's like, no, man. Like, this is the only way it would work out. I don't know. I think it's a good counter. Because people like to give anarchist shit and say, I like to give anarchist shit and say like, the, you know, this is not thought through. This is just dreaming it up and hoping it happens. And he's kind of like, yeah, but if you want it to happen, this is like the only way you can make it happen. I think it's definitely based in a faith in humanity. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed that kind of perspective because I think we've, we've talked a lot about um, the idea of people being fundamentally changed by capitalism. Like the idea of like the boot is wet. If you take someone out of capitalism, they're still going to act kind of like a greedy asshole. Mm -hmm. He's kind of positing like, no, we can do this fucking today. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's interesting. It's not what we have read before. And, and that's, I mean, that's what the whole transitional state of socialism, the, the lower phase of communism is about is this whole, like, well, we got to go after class enemies. We got to, impose order on people because they're not ready for not order he just skips that yeah and he's like (laughs) no they are they are ready like if you took the burden from them of having to eke out survival under capitalists they would rise to the occasion and he does kind of get into like they would be carried on by initially by this revolutionary spirit first but then like they would just be free enough to kind of do these things in a good way which is interesting it's not what we've thought before uh I remain a little skeptical. I do too, but I like it. Oh, I, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I hope man, so. I hope so. Yeah. And I, I think he gives some compelling examples, which we'll get to. Yeah. All right. And he, and he says, like, you know, let's not get fucking distracted. You know, start talking about mealy mouthed things like the right to work and stuff like that. <laughs> it doesn't work. We'll talk about it later, but it doesn't work. You have to have that right to well-being. You have to make sure that everybody you know, actually has the right to not just to eke out an existence, but to housing, food, uh, safety, like these concrete things that they just, they have to have. Survival level stuff and the higher pleasures too, which we, he also gets into, which I really appreciate. Yeah, 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 for sure. I had a question. Yeah. At one point he references a result of, let's see, 1848 and they like did a revolution and eventually were told to go colonize Africa or be shot down. When was this? I mean, I guess 1848, but what the fuck? Um, so <laughs> France actually started colonizing Africa, specifically uh, invading Algeria. And this was a long process of then occupying Algeria, turning it into a colonial possession uh, from 1830 to 1903. And so once the revolution happens in uh, 1848, uh, it ends up taking a kind of counter-revolutionary turn. Uh, 
And he gets into this later, how like they don't get fed and the reactionaries come up and say, fuck this. Right. And so the conservatives take power again and pretty soon they're, you know, mowing the people down and basically they're, they're arresting people, deporting them off to, uh, be soldiers, uh, in the colonial enterprise, basically. Fuck. That's like the opposite of a revolution. Yeah. And, you know, it's not the quote-unquote revolutionary government at that point. I mean, you eventually you have, like, just a straight reaction. But, like, that's what he's saying is, like, quickly you can get derailed when you let your government, like, just run up on the rocks like this. And when, not when you let yeah. your government, but when you let a government when you don't take care of do this people. instead. Yeah. And, and they're like, oh, like you said, oh, give us time. We'll figure it out. Uh, meanwhile, they're starving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Chapter three, anarchist communism, which is cool. I'm confused by this, like, first bit where he says anarchy leads to communism and communism to anarchy. Is he saying it doesn't matter which one comes first? Uh, no, it, it supremely does not matter for him, I don't think. Uh, for, uh, he His theory here that he's presenting is that they go hand in hand. Okay. That neither is walking before the other. There are no stages. There's no socialist transition stage. It's boom. We do revolution. There is no state. There is no private property. We are doing communism. We are doing anarchism at the same time. I mean, I hope so. I'm down. Again, it's different from what we've been looking at. This is really our first, you know, not Marxist or Marxist-Leninist's like theory, I guess. Yeah, we've dabbled with Goldman and we did an episode on types of anarchism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. But we, yeah, we haven't done like a big reading. So if, when it feels different, it is. <laughs> <laughs> he gets into the idea of determining the value of labor. Yeah. And I think that's one of his strongest arguments against traditional socialism. Uh-huh. The, the whole like kind of anti-Marx or at least Marx's conception of things. Uh, or, and specifically, he's aiming his ire at the collectivists. That's what we were saying, Bakunin and his his predecessors who were doing anarcho-collectivism, which was the labor vouchers proving that you worked for a certain number of hours and you take them to the time store, wherever, you know, you take them to the voucher <laughs> the store and store. you can get stuff. And he's saying that's bullshit. Yeah, yeah. He's basically like, you can't determine exactly how hard someone is working. He gets into this in a later chapter too, but this is kind of where he introduces it. Yeah, I thought here his argument for it was a little bit weak for me because he's kind of saying like, uh, his his line is a new method of production cannot exist side by side with the old forms of consumption or the old, you know, uh, it requires a new form of paying people. Basically you're throwing out capitalism, but you're still paying people. What's the deal? I don't know. Like I like the idea, but the reasoning for that for me was kind of like not very, well, not very dialectic. So uh, uh, if you, if you think about it, you know, whatever's coming after capitalism it's probably going to have some elements of it. Influence. It was birthed by uh, Marx puts it as having the birthmarks of capitalism saying that like that low, that lower stage of communism is going to be a little bit like it because it came from it and saying like kind of, you know, and then when we get to communism, it'll be, you know, it'll have, it'll, it'll resolve those antagonisms. But what he's saying is that like, nah, you just got to throw it out day one. New economy. Who dis? Yeah. Which, you know, is I, I like it. I like it. And I, I think he explains it much better yes. in later chapters. Because, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, this one, I was like, that sounds cool, but, like, cool, I guess. Like, I don't know. It's I think <laughs> I he's agree. just it's introducing murky. it. You know? He is, yes. So. He's still kind of in his thesis. 
so yeah, let's let's do let's do anarcho communism. Hell yeah. So he basically is like, once again, this is inevitable, which I like because it is kind of the opposite of like, you know, the human nature idea of like now, like we're programmed to be individualist. And he's like, no, I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) And I also like that he kind of calls out the people who are kind of winning in this system and think that it's fine. Like this quote of by means of money, I can buy all that I need. And I'm like, that is exactly what we see in our culture, like mm. if you think about celebrities or like particular like minorities who make it, yeah. you know, or like uh-huh. what's wrong? Like I succeeded, you know? Yeah. The rags to riches <laughs> stories of various sorts or just like the headlines that are mo- supposed to make you feel good for some reason that someone's like hustling out this living. You're just like, what? This sucks. <laughs> and I think to me it, it is, it is like, yeah, you can buy your way out of like, oppression and i'm like well that's fucked up (laughs) that you have to do that yeah and i think he i think he changes this here pretty well because he's saying kind of people eventually realize that while they thought that eventually they realize that that can't even actually free them from these obligations like mad in the individual level but like they do need other people right and like if you're an oppressed identity like no matter how rich you get like someone's gonna give you shit you know yeah and that gosh that ties back into um a way less theoretical work but still sorry to bother you when he's you know made it but he's still getting all these you know fucking aggressions at at the party and everything exactly like it can only get you so far like it goes hand in hand Mm -hmm. and i don't know that makes me think of you know how (laughs) kind of at, at some point in the conversation with people these days, at least with our group of friends anyway, we end up talking about starting a commune is. Oh, you know, yeah. We're, <laughs> we may be in different places and kind of well off or not, whatever, but like we realize kind of our interdependence. And, I, and this interdependence, I think, is only accelerating in our times of climate crisis, right? Absolutely. Mm, okay, so one thing that, because he, he kind of, like you said, gives some examples about like, the communes, uh, village communes and things from the 10th and 12th century sort of, uh, this is, from my knowledge of it, this is not as universal as he kind of portrays it. Okay, that's good to know. It's kind of Eurocentric and it's a little bit rosy. Like towns are not this, like, <laughs> they're not a commune. I mean, like they, they may have this kind of village communal aspect to it, but they have hierarchies, they have inequalities, they have princes and paupers. I mean... We don't want to say yeah. these were <laughs> saluting each other. Hello, comrade, you know. That's true. Yeah, I think he does kind of look at that in a certain lens. And I, I think maybe this is, I interpret it as like maybe a very small like Hamlet situation where like everyone's related to each other. Like, you know, yeah. like maybe you don't directly have the castle like over your land or whatever. Like you're just a really small village where you do kind of rely on each other. But mm. like. Yeah, even then, I'm sure you still have, like, poor people. Yeah. I feel like maybe it was less inequality, though. Yeah, I think I think that's right, for sure. Uh, and I think he's really... And he does this throughout. We'll talk about when he talks about corporations and things uh, cooperating and stuff. He's oh, that's ju- weird. He's really just trying to get at one kernel of it, you know, one little aspect that he's like, hey, this, this sort of is an example. Because we don't have a true working example. Yeah, that's the reason. And so he's really just just using that little sliver i think uh it's kind of a cool he goes on to kind of develop his 
examples further mm-hmm. talking about all these other examples that we have that aren't you know communist communist but do have some of that impulse towards They're socialized yeah 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 public roads museums libraries all their favorite shit yeah well i thought it was funny like i was reading all these examples and he's talking about railways and all this stuff and i'm like all these trends are reversing like <laughs> we are just privatizing the fuck out of all these things yeah that's true that is true uh, but in his time, they were... They were taking off. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's He's right. It is kind of, you know, communist and with small C to just give this stuff away. I mean, like, you know, I've seen this tweet before of like, just explain a library to someone and it's like, that's, what is that? You know, that if they didn't know what it was already, that's like some sort of weird socialist dream. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, he, he gives that example. Like, they don't ask you... You know what you've contributed to society they don't like charge you per book it's like you take what you need don't be a dick about it yeah and i like the description of the little like laboratory in saint petersburg thing i thought that was so cute it's that was very dispossessed to me the, the like the university mm-hmm. lab like go join with your fellow workers or work alone if you prefer you know invent something or not that's your own affair you're pursuing an idea that is enough I love that. And like the idea of like, yeah, people are there if you want to bounce ideas off of them or you can just do your own thing. Yeah. Yeah. I could just picture Shevek saying that to someone. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> he talks about lifeboat crews. Like, you know, if you're drowning, no one comes up and is like, excuse me, will you pay me five dollars before I save you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in the healthcare industry, they do that. They do do so. that for sure. <laughs> I'm sure it won't be long before we have Uber for fire trucks. So, <laughs> well, I mean, people take Ubers as ambulances now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> One example that I liked and he kind of uses a lot is the the idea of a city during a disaster. People like banding together and the idea that everyone has this baseline agreement to care for like old people and children. He does this in the later chapters with food specifically. Like, it's just obvious. If you have a bunch of food and you ask everyone, who should we feed first? Everyone's going to say the old people and the children. Yeah, the people most in need of it to survive. Yeah, like we know as humans, we know how to make that decision. Yeah. (laughs) So that to me is one of his good arguments for like the human nature question of like, yeah, we're, we're not ready, ready, but like we're more ready than we think we are. Right. Yeah. Even... I think here capitalism kind of serves to help his argument here. It's like, even in this fucked up system, we still can see this shining through. So like, it's a real thing. Yes. Yeah. I think that's it for that section. Yeah. So we're going to do anarchist communism, the communism of the free. Sounds cool. Great. So next section, he starts talking about how, how that works, right? Yes. He gives some examples of like, why basically anarchy is good. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought it was weird that he like referenced like basically colonization. Yeah, he's like, it was cool that they like broke free and started settling like the Americas. And I was like, was it cool? That was, that was pretty bad. <laughs> that was, I didn't like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, this whole like kind of section, that whole paragraph that you're referencing, he's kind of doing a little bit of what we call Whig history which is like wig with an H he's arguing that European societies develop toward more individual Liberty and, and kind of, you know, less government involvement in your life, but it's not always the case. I mean, uh, reaction is totally a thing. I mean, he, he 
mentions it when he talks about some failed revolutions going backward. Sometimes they do roll back, you know, people's individual liberty. I know it's after his time, but like we used to, you know, there was a Weimar Republic in Germany and then there was the Nazi Germany, you know, like, like (laughs) that happens. Yeah. Like sometimes things aren't always going in the right direction. So his argument, though, overall is the tendency of the human race is to reduce government interference to zero, in fact, to abolish the state. It's not a great conclusion, honestly. Like, It's it's a little roughshod in this section. To me, it's not needed. Like, You don't have to prove historically that it will do this, so therefore your <laughs> argument is good. Because, um, I mean, you do sometimes in some historical time periods in some locations, you see, okay, yeah, 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 less government interference, whatever. But you also see states not do that. Uh, you know, one of the things that Marx was talking about in the Communist Manifesto, and you see this in, in Engels as well, is this kind of growing state power around industrial capitalism, protecting it, setting the rules so that, you know, the capitalists advance. And he kind of predicts it gets more powerful over time. And, and you know, again, in the 20th century, fascist dictatorships and welfare states not at all really following this trend. <laughs> Again, I don't think it has to be a tendency for the whole thing to work. It's just yeah, being picky. <laughs> I think I, I viewed it as more using like a macro example to apply to the micro. So like, I really like this one phrase, mutual agreement replaces law. Basically like, don't be a dick or I won't hang out with you. And he he comes back to that over and over again. The idea of like social habits, the idea of like, even these big evil corporations can still make agreements to like build railroads or whatever, because they just, they understand like, Hey, if I fuck this guy over, he's not going to work with me again. So like you, so ordinary people can do that. That's how I interpret it anyway. No, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. It's great. I'm right. (laughs) (laughs) But he does, you know, and we're conditioned to, and he talks about this, we're conditioned to see States as like good and necessary, right? Like, and he, and he talks about what I mentioned before, that like states are the focus of all the news, of all the histories. Like that's what they're focused on is the great statesmen, uh, the, the lawmakers, the kings, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I thought he was really good in that point of like, yeah, we even have a whole section for this called human interest. Like that's when we actually talk about people. Everything else is like, what did this fucking congressman do? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, you know, the real actual pulse of humanity you know, most people aren't in government and government isn't that big of a deal. The real mechanism holding society, society together is these people and their, uh, their mutual confidence. He calls it kind of a relative morality. And, and so like if government is actually gone, contrary to all the, Oh, everything would fall apart immediately sort of thing. We, we you know, we would still generally have this sort of mutual agreement, this sort of like general morality and not just break out the axes and say time to start killing, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it is exactly like Shevik said, like, would you kill me right now? Like if there wasn't a law against it, like that's pretty weird. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a, like you're kind of messed up. Man. Like, <laughs> yeah, you might want to get that checked out. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, he's basically introducing the idea of a free agreement, which, again, he gets into later. Um, he had just repeats himself some more on the rest of this. Parliamentarianism like, oh, sucks. Yeah, it's terrible. It's not difficult, indeed, to see the absurdity of naming a few men and saying to them, make laws regulating all our spheres <laughs> of activity, although not one of you knows anything about them. 
It's just a banana. How much could it cost? $5? <laughs> yeah, that is your right to mention it when you end up with uh, going to the Met Gala thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. You can't expect representational democracy to actually represent you. Like, it doesn't matter if you do things like he talks about later. Like, if it doesn't matter if you do proportional representation. It doesn't matter if you, you know, get my, more minorities in power. It doesn't matter. Like, that is just a fucking Band-Aid because once they are in there, they are now in there with the capitalists and making their own decisions. And that's kind of interesting, too, because I was thinking about it like, okay, so the main thing there is class, right? They're in a different class because, they, they, I mean, they have a different class interest and stuff. But the class here really is having power in that government, you know, in a, in a government, having, being in a, of a different hierarchy. And that kind of leads to a to the Trotsky's critique of the Soviet Union and saying that you had this bureaucratic caste um, of people. It's, it's an interesting crossover. I mean, it makes sense because if you're in a position of power, then capitalists are going to court you and you're kind of courting them. And it's this like incestuous relationship. Like, I don't think you can adequately separate power and and capital. Yeah, yeah. And I guess that's the difference is he's talking. He's still talking about you. You can't just hope a parliament within capitalism would do this versus in the Soviet example. At least you don't have the capitalists still in power in general. Yeah, yeah. But even then, if you don't have capitalism, I bet power is the new currency. True expropriation chapter four i hate this rothschilds guy he sounds shitty uh he was i mean he was a super rich banker so okay yeah so this guy apparently was like everyone says i should give away my money fine if if you divide it up it'd be about five shillings so just if you see me on the street come ask me and like only a few people did it and he would like distribute them with a sardonic smile dude you know we need to convince jeff bezos to pull this shit and then go and then come to up, his house. Yeah, and come up to him ready to get our get our actual fair share when he does come out there unguarded. Oh my <laughs> parody, god! Parody, yes. parody, but like parody, parody, parody. <laughs> uh, that's and it's just fucking grinning at him like huge fair share. Fuck mm. you, dude. Ugh, like what the fuck? And you know that he's also calculating that five shillings by like his cash or something and like he's not actually taking oh, into yeah. account like the exploitation of people uh-huh. he's just being like this is how much is in my bank account yeah i guess kropotkin sets that up and says you know okay well people like to make fun of this and <laughs> and say oh expropriation you know the old thatcher quote you know the problem with socialism is you run out of other people's money or whatever <laughs> did she say that yes that was a that was a margaret thatcher quote what a fucking bitch. Yeah, she sucks. Uh, sucked, she's dead. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. Uh, but this is, you know, Kropotkin's like, okay, yeah, 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 blah, blah, blah. They're wrong. Here's what we're going to do. I, I like his quote of the dummy. I I wished, <laughs> he, so he does this a lot where he'll say, like, so-and-so will say, oh, this. Never have I wished so hard that Google Docs had an option for SpongeBob caps. <laughs> Because I wanted to type all those, like, you mean expropriation? Like, yes. in, in alt caps. It, yeah, and my notes, I just, whenever I was going through some objections, I just all caps them. I was just like, Bob, what about this? <laughs> LMAO. You know? um, so, yeah, his quote here is like, expropriation. I know what that means. You take all the overcoats, lay them in a the heap, <laughs> and everyone's free to help himself and fight for the best. And it's like, very cute. Yeah, fuck but you. No. <laughs> but also, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> So, so what is it? So instead, what we're talking about is 
putting the people in control of the means of production, right? Taking over, taking over the capacity to make shit and getting rid of the capitalist class so they're not in charge of deciding, oh, we're going to make, you know, 10,000 yachts for us to (laughs) sell to each other. Letting the people control what to produce themselves. Basically producing for the community and not profit. Yeah. Uh, Expropriating, taking the reins, taking the helm and deciding for ourselves what is produced. That's the main thing. SpongeBob voice is back. Um, what about rich people who come from another country? Are you going to shoot them with your anarchy police? <laughs> oh, I like this. He's, um, if, you know, he's saying, yeah, some rich asshole shows up to your revolutionary country. And Kropotkin says like, okay, but we've, we've changed things. Like he's not coming <laughs> to some place where there are destitute people. We're taking care of everyone. Who the fuck is he going to get? to rip them off and, and pay them a pittance to, to work in his fact. That, that is the only way that these guys make money is what he says. The only way they make money is preying on people who are so desperate to do anything to survive. And he's like, we're not going to have those. So good luck, dude. It's like that guy's fucking play in the dispossessed of like the, the Urosti comes to try to spend money and everyone's like, what the fuck are you doing here? Yeah. Baby, me, baby, me. <laughs> baby. <me. laughs> I've written a little guide here called How to Become Wealthy. All right. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Tell us <laughs> your wisdom. All right. So he goes into like basically a few different examples of like, here's where all money comes from. First option. So you want to be a baron. <laughs> How to be a baron. <laughs> yeah. First, you got to get some land. Oops, you need people because otherwise it's just like dirt and he says it might as well be the moon (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah what are you going to do your ass isn't going to get out there and fucking get dirt under your fingernails no (laughs) there's no way so what do you do you find poor people and guess what it's the middle ages there's a lot of poor people there's wars there's plagues there's droughts whatever so everyone's like desperate to feed themselves and so you say oh come to my cool new farm and then you start charging them rent you start charging them taxes and Mm -hmm. your peasant is just stuck because what the fuck else are they gonna do that's what it is you're preying on the desperate okay so let's say you're not a baron what if you just want to be a regular old capitalist yeah sometimes you you know sometimes you're just feeling capitalist You don't want to wear the fancy clothes. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to wear the poofy baron hat. First, you have to have money. Good luck. So, <laughs> Ask your parents for a loan. First off, ask your parents for a loan. <laughs> you win the lottery, whatever it is. Traditional wisdom is like, oh, spend it over time or save it. And it's like, that's not going to do anything. You will have nothing. <laughs> so you start a factory and the bank will lend you money because, hey, you have money. That must mean you're good at money. Mm-hmm. And once again, you're exploiting people who are starving. Good news. There's a lot of starving people out there. Now you're richer. Now you can double your employees and your profits. You can also probably bribe the government and get even more rich and get government contracts. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> wealth builds wealth, but it requires some ingredients again. And that's people to rob, <laughs> you know. People to rob and governments to back you. Definitely. I love that he makes that point of like the state ain't there to protect the people. It is there to protect the capitalists. Mm-hmm. It's the capital state. And I think on that point, you know, we like to say, oh, he's shitting on socialists and communists for, for, you know, believing in this transitionary state period. But both of them mm-hmm. agree that the capitalist state has to fucking go. You know, that it's oh, yeah. not in their That's interest. That's the main point. Yeah. <laughs> 
Okay, getting into section two here, it's like, all right, what if you're a regular ass guy and you're just trying to you're trying to do okay? Oh yeah, what about the small business owner? Right? The, sh- the shoemaker. <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about the small business owner. Uh, this one I actually did take the time to write in SpongeBob caps. Have you tried saving a little each month? <laughs> <laughs> um, oops, you're gonna die in early retirement. Sorry. <laughs> yes, that was crazy. The um, being practical, saving just a little bit. He just, yeah, he, he dies, uh, destitute. He dies. <laughs> there's, there's no way around it. Like that's, that's not. The regular people way to do it. The exploitation free way to do it is just to die. Or if you're a little shoemaker, you get apprentices, you exploit them. Now you can leave money for your kid. And I like this line a lot. This is called being economical and having frugal temperate habits. When it's like the, that would be the first thing of putting away your money. Mm-hmm. But like, no, this is being a dick. Yeah, yeah. At bottom, it is nothing more nor less than grinding the face of the poor. And that's what it requires. And, and, you know, we like to say, oh, well, don't do that. Don't be an asshole. But I mean, you know, okay. But the shoemaker is not really trying to be. Yeah, he's not trying to be an asshole. He's trying to survive. You know, it's not about morality. It's it's about abolishing the conditions that make this person do this. That's a great point. Yeah, because I I don't want to just be like. Every person that has employees deserves to die. It's like, it's, yeah, they have to do that or they're also going to die. Like, it's, it's a shitty system of shitty choices. Yes. Yeah. Um, what about the merchants? They're not exploiting anyone. They don't directly employ people, right? Mm, Yeah. It's just like, yes, once upon a time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If you're a medieval ass dude, if you're like carrying things on your back and you have a fucking caravan, then sure. Yeah. But like. That's not how it is now. Now you call up somebody, get a ship or whatever, get a crew who's willing to sail for you and all that so shit. So now you're not, so like the modern day equivalent so yeah, is. now you're not doing ships but, 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 as much. Like now you're it's not a truck driver. You are a trucking company <laughs> owner is what he's saying. You're a basically. logistics guy. Yeah. He's saying you're not the guy, you know, driving the ship, driving the truck in this case. Exactly. Yeah. You're not the one out there doing the labor. You're making phone calls for people to do it for you. Yeah. Or also like, yeah, the, exactly. The shipping container operator versus the owner of the company. Yeah. It's it's who's making the real money, you know, and again, it's the people who are exploiting other people desperate enough to ha- do something to survive. Basically, what it all comes down to is that wealth comes off of desperation. Yes. So if we solved the desperation, we wouldn't have need for wealth. And what is, yeah, an expropriation, right? Taking over those things. What do we, a lot of people ask, like, what do we need to take over? Uh, am I going to, you know, what about my, my laptop? Like I sell things <laughs> on, you know, on Etsy to make ends meet. Are you going to take that? Cause it's a means of production or what have you, right? All these things, all these hypotheticals. He says, it's a simple rule. Expropriation must apply to everything that enables anyone, be he financier, mill owner or landlord to appropriate the product of others toil. So that's what it simplifies down to is if you can use it to be that vulture to leech off of someone to make, you know, to, to, to prey on someone desperate enough. If you can use it for that, the people have it now. Yeah. I mean, he says like, we're not trying to take your coat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, keep your toothbrush, keep your clothes, keep your personal shit. I don't give a shit. We just, we want to, Make sure that there's no longer this condition of poverty that forces people to take shitty work. Hell yeah. I like it. Me, I'm into it. (laughs) Part three. I like this. It's like, 
don't go too far. And he's like, fuck you. We sh- we, what if we don't go far enough? <laughs> <laughs> Humans can't change all at once. Human nature. Yeah. He, he, he's like, the, the real danger is we leave too much behind. You know, we, we leave too yeah. much still standing. <laughs> yeah. I think it's interesting. He gives examples of like, if you just take one wheel of the system or one spoke, I guess, of the wheel. So he gives the example of agriculture, industry, and landowners. And he's like, okay, what if you just said no more rent? Fucking free housing, everybody. But if you don't get rid of industry and you don't get rid of, like, the way agriculture is run, like, you're still going to be fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're just going to revert back. Same with the other ones. Like, he gives examples of, like, you can't just get rid of, you have to get rid of the whole system. Yeah, for one, the people who are still in those exploitative sectors are getting exploited. That sucks, for one. So you've just left out chunks, right? Um, but the other, like, he's saying, like, your sector is going to get locked up. It, I mean, you know, it's it's revolution's chaos, okay. It's going to get grind to a standstill. The, the, the ingredients that you're getting from the other ones and the trade back and forth, that's not going to be functioning anymore. They're not going to be playing nice with you because you're trying to destroy them as a class. Why would they, you know, trade with your industrial commune or, or your agricultural commune when they don't want to be communized themselves. Like they're just going to try to kill you. To me, I thought this was kind of almost like, why would you even bring this up? Cause like, to me, like all of the economics is connected. So it's like, yeah, obviously you can't do that. Like, don't get me wrong. If someone like, Hey, we passed free housing today. Like, sure. I'm down. Yeah. Like, let's fucking do it. But I, I think it's, it is naive to think that that would solve everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so he's criticizing kind of, you know, uh, a sock like them, uh, yeah, Bernie Sanders, even a Huey Long style approach, right? Like, it's not going to cut it. I mean, you can, it will help the symptoms. Yeah. But it's not going to, ultimately, you said it right, it's, we're going to be back, you know? I have a question about corn. All right. Uh, let me get on the <laughs> phone with my Midwest correspondent. <laughs> um, we do have Iowa listeners. <laughs> so he talks about the commune. Of 1793, is that the Paris Commune? I don't no, remember no, dates. No, no, that's... Okay, uh, great. Different commune. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So apparently they fell to corn speculation. What the fuck happened? Why Why would corn do me like that? Well, it's not corn. Corn was just fine. Corn was trying to nourish people. <laughs> okay, and it's good. just like everything else he talks about here where he's saying, like, our productive capacity is cool. It's good and it could help people, but it doesn't because of assholes. Same thing here. So the commune he's talking about is just referring to the city of Paris, which in France, a lot of the towns and everything, the cities are referred to as communes. Um, oh. At the time, this was the Paris government during the French Revolution. It was the Paris commune. But it wasn't like this big like communist or socialist thing. It was... Okay, it's just... That's how you say city. Well, and they had elected delegates. Like, it was, you know, revolutionary in the sense, but it was bourgeois. Yeah, like the French Revolution was. And it was radically, you know, pro-revolutionary. It wasn't communist or anything. Anyway, they had a real problem with speculating on food goods throughout the chaos of the revolution. Kropotkin devotes chapters of this in that big French Revolution history, uh, talking about basically how the the government keeps trying to, like, pass these laws, like, uh, don't speculate on this. If you have any meetings, (laughs) if we find you in these meetings, we're going to guillotine people. Uh, so don't be meeting about speculating on this or that or the other thing, but people are still doing it because everything is not like they didn't seize everything. You know, they didn't communize all that stuff. Okay. So 
I've been doing this fucking podcast over here. I'm still murky on speculating. Oh, okay. From what I understand, based on like examples he gives later, he talks about how basically if you are like trying to get food from the countryside because you're a city, which like Paris would be trying to do, basically the countryside would be like, well, we still want money. And you'd be like, we don't have money. And then they're like, well, we're not going to give you corn. Mm-hmm. I mean, but it's not like the countryside, the farmers, right? It's, it's, a, it's, no, it's the countryside, it's the, the estates who, who, yeah, the people who own it. Those are the ones. Yeah, it's not like our farmers are assholes or something. Yeah. No, yeah, it's, it's again, the owners of that means of production, the the capitalists. And, and they're speculating. And a lot of times there are middlemen involved. So those guys would sell to somebody who was taking it into Paris and those guys bought it at a certain price. Yeah, and then they come back and, and they're like, times are tough, huh? Like, I want double the price for this. And <laughs> okay. That's what All we're right, talking great. about. Sounds terrible. It, it was, yeah. And, and he was right that it was, you know, while people were starving and it was bringing the city to its knees. Then he talks about the people who are like, okay, cool. We'll expropriate the means of production. But what about like food and clothes and houses? Like, you still have private property, right? I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I don't know any socialists that feel this way. <laughs> that feel what way? That feel like that we should still have private property. Unless you mean like, I could see people saying like, you can keep your house or something. People get hung but, up though. I mean, and, and there's this distinction of personal and private property mm-hmm. and things like that. And, and I think that he does an interesting flip, right? I think so too. He says, the rest of the worker is the daily repairing of the machine. And the food of the worker is just as much a part of production as the fuel burnt by the steam engine and the shirt and shoes in which they go to work. They, these are as necessary to them as the hammer to the anvil. Great. You took over the factory. But if all your workers are starving and naked and homeless, like they ain't going to be working. They're going to die. Yeah, you need to provide for those <laughs> basic needs for people. And again, he'll go on to more than just basic. But I, th- I guess we sometimes think of private property as like I get to have my own T-shirts which isn't so much as what he's saying. Uh, he's doing like a, this flip of like mm, private property means you have to obtain them yourselves somehow on a market. People have the right to like keep this from you unless you do something for them. What we're saying here is it's okay for you to like get, you know, your favorite shirt or whatever and, and keep it. That's fine. That's fine. It's not private property. You're not like preventing someone else from getting, you know, you're not exploiting someone using it. But we're saying like it's kind of like the dispossessed where they can have like their favorite blanket or whatever. And it's like maybe people will be like kind of weird that you're attached to that blanket, but <laughs> it's not bad. Uh, you don't really but you're not really owning things. He, he's just saying like by these things not being private property, that means you don't have to like buy them yourselves. You don't have to buy them. You get them freely and use them for your own needs. Yeah, you can keep them however the fuck long you want, but everything's free. <laughs> yeah, I think, I don't know, maybe that's mostly Americans where we get hung up on that. I think so. <laughs> People do. I we mean, like our comforts. They're like, but what I about my things, you know? And <laughs> I like my things. Yeah, And it's fine. We're just saying, like, you won't have to go purchase these. You won't, you know, no one will be able to keep these from you. And they're guaranteed is, is a better way to think of it. Yeah, and I, I think that's easier with things like food where you're like, well, yeah, that's a thing. I think clothes is interesting because like the at the time he's writing this, it's like, well, everyone's dressed in fucking rags and shit. And like, <laughs> we're pretty good at clothes now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not everywhere. Like, yeah, there's definitely people who have like clothing shortage, but generally 
we're okay at clothes. <laughs> so yeah, uh, but that's because of sweatshops. So true. <laughs> Chapter five: Food. I love food. He loves food too. He writes seven parts of it. <laughs> he really does love food. <laughs> All right. Can I give you my flow chart for revolution? Yes, please do. All right. This is what happens in a bad revolution. So you do your revolution. Everyone's like, Liberty, France. Well, you know, sounds you do a whole musical so about far. it. Yeah. <laughs> sounds pretty good. <laughs> you sing in the barricades. You know, your friend who has a crush on you dies in the rain. It's very tragic. No. Um, <laughs> but you do this revolution. Industry stops because, you know, people are dying. It's, it's yeah, there's deal. no time to work. Yeah. And then you get your Jacobins in there saying, let's have a debate of ideas. You get your little Jeb Bartlett's in there. <laughs> <laughs> you get all your West Wing friends and they debate their ideas. And then they're like, oh, fuck, we forgot to feed everybody. We're too busy debating ideas. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so then you get your reactionaries sneaking in the back door being like, see, this revolution promised you good things and it sucks. And then you go back to normal. <laughs> they take power and then it does super suck. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So that's, yeah, you're right. That's that's kind of the, the bad revolutionary outline. Did you like my snake voice? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Basically, he's like, yeah, did you see where we fucked up there? We didn't feed anybody. <laughs> People don't like that for some reason. When you don't feed them, I don't know, they get upset. I get very hangry. You can ask my husband. <laughs> yeah, we've all been there. And so Kropotkin's solution is, how about bread for all? <laughs> that seems pretty obvious. That's why it's called the bread book. <laughs> I'm so excited to do episode art for this. <laughs> uh, but it doesn't just mean bread. It means food. I mean, right? Like, uh, it means food, People yeah. need we're, to be We're not be all fed. eating bread. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you're keto, it's fine. <laughs> Gluten-free. Celiac sensitive stuff, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, we, we got so other we'll, shit for We'll figure it, it out. Yeah. <laughs> but point is, gotta have food supplies. Or it all fucking falls apart. The assholes take power again. And we're all screwed. So we provide bread. Okay, great. Are we just going to do... I mean, that sounds pretty utopian. (laughs) But I I love that he calls out, like, basically the middle class being like, we can't just give people bread, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah, yeah, like, are you you serious? And he's like, well, yeah, that's because you want to keep control over them. And it's a lot easier to do that when people are hungry. We can't just give people money. We can't just have people, you know, safe and satisfied in their homes or pay them a living wage or anything because then they just don't want to show up to work and make our treats. Mm-hmm. You know? And this is a long-running idea. 1892, right? Yeah. But, I mean, there it's, it's always a strand when people are arguing about even social welfare through capital estates is we want to make poverty uncomfortable. We want to make it you know, suck to be broke so that you let us exploit you as much as we can. Yeah, because their their outward facing argument is so you hate it and you work hard and get out of it. But like not everyone can do that. There's just there's just not enough room at the top. There's enough resources at the top, but there's not enough room at the top. Yeah, yeah. And moreover, no one should have to. Like, and that's yeah, what yeah, that's so what Kropotkin's saying up. is fuck <laughs> that, you know? Yeah, and he gets into that. He talks about like you know, you have your reformist and your like statists who want like national workshops mm. and public works. So, okay, I've heard of public works. Obviously, what are national workshops? So this is a specific thing to France. Okay, again God, with the France. France, yeah. <laughs> again with the France. National workshops were these public workhouses 
that provided work for the unemployed in the French Second Republic after that 1848 revolution. Now, a workhouse sounds like some sad Downton Abbey shit. (laughs) Well, it was from the right-to-work crowd. That's what they wanted. That's what they demanded. So what you would do is kind of show up to the national workshop, and they would kind of register you after a long period of time, and then they would send you where work needed to be done. You know, and a lot of times they were doing like a government project or something. Oh, we're building this road or what have you, right? Uh, So by May 1848, they employed 100,000 workers, but there's still like a ton of unemployment, especially as you have people pouring in from the countryside and stuff trying to get jobs at the National Workshop. It cost a ton of money. It really ran them into debt trying to do this, and they weren't really patching over much of it. So soon a more conservative legislature is elected, and they're just like, this is bullshit. This is government run amok, <laughs> and they close down the workshops. They have the June days uprising because people are pissed that they closed down the workshops. Uh, and that uprising gets brutally crushed. So in context, he's holding this up as a negative example. Basically, uh, you know, it's a bad idea to try to just, you know, give everyone work so they can go buy food because it's harder to do than just giving them food. <laughs> yeah, there's a middleman there we could just get rid of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I he even compares it to, like, ancient Rome and ancient Egypt. Like, yeah, people knew that you should keep peasants busy with work. Mm-hmm. Like... And that's called imperial monstrosities. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's, a, it's like, go build me a pyramid. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Tried and true is make sure the people are working and too tired to do any revolution. <laughs> Basically, you take over the food. Yeah. <laughs> I guess everyone busts up a Kroger. Yeah. <laughs> Just go into the Kroger, take, expropriate the Kroger. <laughs> and this is, this sounds a little wild. It does. But it is in the context of a revolution. I think this is a, a, a quite understandable and, I mean, the way he argues it through, I think quite useful uh, approach. If you're going to take this approach is, you know, you are taking over the rest of the economy. You're taking over everything. Take over the storehouses in whatever form they are. So, yeah, Kroger's. But there's so, <laughs> you know, all the grocery chains, all the convenience, everything should be yours and the stores should be used immediately. You know, whatever supplies you have need to be distributed to people in the meantime. He says, like, it's going to take us a while to retool the whole economy to work up to its capacity and then exceeding it, you know, back to where we were again, that's going to take a while. In the meantime, we can't be in here debating English treatises. You know, we've got to be, uh, we've got to be feeding people. And this is how we do it is we kind of use the leftover scraps from what capitalism had built up. Use that in the interim while we figure out the next step. Makes sense to me. And he gets more into details later. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not just for food, I want to say, because I was thinking this through earlier. It's like, well, we're going to have a big problem when international trade breaks down because we're all carrying around <laughs> these rare metal, rare earth metals in, in our phones. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's going to be rough. The uh, iPhone stores got a capacity. You know, it's, it's, it's got yeah. storehouses and shit like there we'll are warehouses that we also have to bust open and stuff like all of these things can be appropriately used in the meantime. Yeah, and kind of rationed out, like, in a logical, but not hierarchical way. Which is the hard part, because, I mean... That is going to be hard. It's going to be messy. You are in a revolutionary chaos that, presumably, some people don't agree with, 
And yeah, and I'm sure some people are going to like strong arm their way. To, yeah, yeah, exactly, to hoard. So that's the... But, you know, then again, you're just... You just rely on popularity and hopefully enough people think those guys are assholes and do something about it. Hopefully. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, here he's kind of saying, again, you know, we don't want to go halfway. We don't want to do what the collectivists say and do, like, wages. Because that's dumb. You know, we don't want to we don't want to base things on <laughs> contribution because, again, we can't really calculate that. It doesn't make sense. And I think he gets into people who are obsessed with rules and then, like, let's punish the rule breakers and basically just, like, reinstating a kind of fashy state of, like, well, you you took more than your ration. I'm going to shoot you. And that's not a good look. <laughs> yeah, he talks about the, you know, the the revolutionaries. You know, turning the guns on the people, mowing down people when they demand bread and saying, like, that's where we fuck up. When we turn on the people like that because we've got to have order and we've got, you know, then we're just as bad as the fucking thing we were trying to overthrow. And then he says, you know, we'll we'll turn on each other. The Social Democrats will hang the anarchists. The Fabians will hang the Social Democrats and will in (laughs) their turn be hanged by the reactionaries. The revolution will come to an end. I'm picturing all the subreddits just like going dark one after the other. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's quarantined. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So instead of making a bunch of rules, Mm -hmm. we take all the food, right? Yeah. Well, instead of that, I mean, we will no longer be enamored with like statism and things like that. The idea of anarchism, of anarchist communism has gained ground. Another way to look at this is like things are different, you know. Uh, the material conditions have changed. And so, yeah, we're seizing the food. We're dispersing it. And and, and again, he kind of relies on sort of an excitement. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> this is this is crazy, you know. Um, it's a, he's, he's like, things are wild. There's, there's going to be people will make do with, like, scraps of bread and shit for a while. Because, cause, uh, you know, it's wild times. It's the revolution, which, yeah, I'm not so sure everyone's <laughs> going to be as exciting. That, but okay. Yeah. But he says, if we get bread to people, we will have a fighting chance, is what he's kind of saying, I think. Yeah, I I agree. Basically, like, let's not let the obsession of order get in the way of just getting people the shit that they need. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Section four. I just I forgot how to read Roman numerals for a section. (laughs) Second. So that was cool. Um, He talks about agrarian communes again. He's really horny for those. Um, (laughs) But. What I love is this example of water. He He's like, okay, you tell someone you want to distribute food evenly or you distribute anything evenly. And people are like, well, people are going to take too much. He gives the example of water. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, basically, because water is fairly abundant, big caveat, it's not fairly <laughs> abundant everywhere. True. But in places where it is, no one's tracking you down saying, excuse me, you use too much water. You're going to have to pay way more unless you use an exorbitant amount. Well, yeah, which is places. not really like useful to you. Or again, if they're in times of scarcity, right? If you, if you do need to ration it out, that would be one thing. But generally. But if it's plentiful, it's fine. Mm-hmm. That's the thing you get to with the with the question of like, oh, you know, what if people loot or, or hoard things? If the revolution is powerful enough and this is a big if and i think that there's (laughs) you know probably the need for a little more organization than just let's all do it but whatever 
if the revolution is powerful enough, the reactionary elements, even people who think like this shouldn't be happening, they don't really have an incentive to hoard things because they don't really have a market to do anything with it. Like you can hoard huge quantities of something, but like, what are you going to do with that? (laughs) Yeah. There's no money. You can't sell it. Yeah. Now I can understand hoarding like chocolate because I mean, that would be tasty and you could give it out to your friends and be the most liked person on your block, whatever. But (laughs) I think that's another reason it is so crucial to get that bread out immediately. Just like expropriate, get shit out immediately. Don't sit on it. Don't think about it too long. Just like fucking go because you will have, I think you'll have less looting that way because there'll be less panic of like, all right, I still am getting food. Okay. I'm still taken care of. I don't have to go steal. Because, I mean, that's like most of crime anyway is poverty. Yep. Mm-hmm. And he also uh, brings up this idea of, I mean, that the first shall be last and the last shall be first, right? The to those who have the most need should the most be given. Yeah, it's, it's what we we're talking about earlier with this, the city in crisis example. It's the idea of like, yeah, let's fucking feed. Let's not have dying children. Let's feed the kids first. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> Let's guys. feed the old people. Like those are very basic things we can agree on. And like that alone would take a huge effort. So like I think we could all just be like, hey, guys, just chill. We're sending out food for the kids. And then the, these people like that's pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah. And he gets in. <laughs> I don't know. This is a side note for me, maybe. But he gets into like food preparation. I love this part. And he's like, <laughs> that is so interesting. It's a, it's more economical to just prepare everything all together. He's, you know, like uh, one big fire, one big pot. There we go. And he calls it like Spartan broth, like, <laughs> which I thought was very funny. Yeah. Uh, I, I drew a little Spartan helmet on a cauldron. It says now with less flavor. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, there there is a status tendency to say, like, okay, we'll take all the food and then we'll all cook it and then we'll all distribute it equally. Yeah. And it's like, well, that's going to be shitty food, first of all. <laughs> Cafeteria and food. It's going to be like, it sounds efficient, like in theory, but like, that's a huge undertaking. How the fuck is somebody going to do that? Logistics wise, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's kind of saying, I don't know, I took away from that, like, you could, I mean, sure, but you don't have to, like, you don't have to get your food from there right or something yeah yeah because yeah when i was reading this he was kind of shitting on that initially like yeah we don't want to like have barracks communism kind of stuff and he he does admit like yes it is more economical to cook in a group and you can definitely do that like i think to me i took it as like yeah you can have like bakeries and restaurants still yeah it's just there's no profit and there's no yeah it's it's like when y'all went to when y'all went to a cell in the D and D game, and it's and it was just like, <laughs> oh yeah, I mean this is my shop. Take whatever you want. I do this for fun, mm-hmm. you know. Or in the dispossessed, when they're just like just trading things and and just you know get what you want, man. This was kind of comforting to me because he's like, yeah, we're not going to take away the right to cook in your own house. Which I'm like, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big foodie. I think both me and my husband would just like have conniptions like it's food is very important (laughs) Mm -hmm. and also i would say it's culturally important too like i think that would suck because like you know what if you only grew up eating a certain type of food and then like oh i have to eat this white people food now like fuck you yeah (laughs) true true so i I thought that was a good way of saying like yeah you can do it and like i think i think communal kitchens would still be a good idea although fucking i would love to i would definitely move (laughs) you'd move to the mexican neighborhood (laughs) Yes, hell yeah, dude. Move to my neighborhood. I'll be there all day. <laughs> yeah. 
I live in the good taco <laughs> section. Yeah, I'd be at the Great. cafeteria all, straight up all day. <laughs> the taco. I just sign up to be a cook, man. I'd be cooking, eating, <laughs> living the life. Yeah. <laughs> One other thing he he mentions here, I think, is sometimes people will be like, "Well, but like, what about like, uh, you know, is someone getting too much food? Like, is is are, are people kind of cheating the system and?" Or, or, you know, even good intention people are being like, well, what about the calendar revolutionaries or whatever? It's like, dude, we cannot figure this out right now. Literally, if you want food, you're getting food. We want everyone to have food. If someone gets too, who cares? Like, it's fine. Yeah. The idea of like inequities are going to happen in the system, but like, whatever, we're, we're moving towards a larger goal. Yeah. And especially in that early revolutionary chaos, like, fuck it. You, you have food, right? Good. <laughs> yeah. Cool. <laughs> And I like how he ends it too. Like someone's like, well, you'll run out in a month. And it's like, cool. That means everyone's actually like full. Yeah. We actually fed everyone. Great. (laughs) We, yeah, we always run out this way. It's just that only the rich people got to eat and it lasted for two months, you know? And they also wasted a bunch of it. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Section five. Section five. We have a return of a friend, the domino theory. Oh man. This one, this one's great. This will be a good t-shirt. Something about the domino theory. We're always talking about it. You know what it reminds me of? Hmm. Do you remember in Futurama where Bender's like stealing or something? And then Futurama's like, Futurama does not endorse the cool crime of stealing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what it reminds me of. Of like, don't try this communism. It's it's, it's really good. Yeah. People really want to try it, but please don't do it. Oh, <laughs> So in section five, he kind of talks about, okay, I've been talking up the virtues of food and being fed. (laughs) You might be wondering how to do that. And he says, well, ultimately, (laughs) circumstances kind of dictate the measures. Yeah, this chapter is a shrug emoji. Which is fair. I mean, that's that's a materialist way to look at it. I like that. He says the revolution is going to unfold differently in different countries. Uh, You might, some places might do state socialism. Some might be more like a feder. He says the Federation, which is not Star Trek style. He's talking like anarchist style, like the whole thing about sending delegates and stuff. I also picture the ugly little green guys from the Star Wars prequels. <laughs> oh yeah, the Aren't trade, they the trade the Federation. Trade Federation. <laughs> yeah, not them. They're either. terrible. Okay, good. Back to Domino Theory. He kind of posits that, like, yeah, probably if one of these cities comes up, like other ones will follow and i'm like that'd be great yeah 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 he, he says it might pop off in a city and then yeah everyone's gonna follow domino style and you know that's 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 a good thing i know that you know the cia will be crawling all over whatever city goes first <laughs> to make sure that doesn't happen yeah uh <laughs> they will be cooing <laughs> the fuck out of whoever they can but he's saying you know yeah probably it'll spread because it's cool <laughs> Because it's cool. Everyone likes it. Yeah. And and also, you know, we can't sit around and wait for this to happen everywhere. You know, even if it only pops off in one city, let's do it. You know, I think that's good. Like there is a big emphasis on like self-sustainability in this reading, which I think is interesting. It sounds kind of isolationist, but like I think if you have a big enough like territory, it could kind of work. Yeah, that's the thing. You, uh, you know, it depends. You can't really do it in. in a, I mean, you can, I guess. It's just not very effective to do it on such a small scale. It's not like you're not going to have as many luxury goods, and you won't like, liberate as many people. You're going to be eating very seasonal. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to be eating turnips all the time. Turnip just boy. Turnips. 
like the poor sad sap in Harvest Moon, just turnips. Hey, got him through that and mugwort. <laughs> mugwort. That poor, that poor boy. Poor abused soul. <laughs> Next up, section six. Again, uh, how do we get food again? <laughs> we return, <laughs> He's really into this. return to our city in revolt, figuring out how are we going to get this going? He says, kind of, it's bad to have, you know, just the bossy state kind of or order food around a hey, food here, food here, this sector, you know, this neighborhood gets this much food, what have you, you know, that's not good. He even calls that utopian, which I thought was a sick burn. That's yeah. And it's, you know, it's kind of fair to say like, yeah, you're just kind of dreaming it up and ordering it into existence, hoping that that will, you know, make it the best solution. Cause you said so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it kind of reminds me of like a little bit of libertarian arguments about like socialized health care of like, well, you can't trust the government to do it. Right. And it's like you can't trust the current government to do it. Right. You're probably right about that. Oh, yeah. Like, and they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> nope. it's, it's called Obamacare. They didn't do it right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, it's 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 dumb because like the different regions are going to resent the orders. Like, who are you to tell me the countryside to send food to your city? You know, and I think it is a really smart solution, though. It's just like, give them manufactured goods. If you are a city and you want food, give the people making food the things that you can make. Yes. (laughs) Trade uh, useful shit. The free exchange of goods. It's bartering. And I think it's great because it it is kind of an inversion of our world. Everyone's producing and giving away as much as they can because it's all useful to people. So the cities, they're producing good shit that they and the countryside need. And the countryside's producing enough food for it and for the cities. And then each one just keeps enough for itself and gives away the rest versus, you know, our world, which is just kind of the, like the perverse version of this where it's like, it's, you give away most of it. Yeah. Sell as much of it as you can, even if that's not always useful. Even if you end up not being able to afford it with that shitty wage you got. Yeah. 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 Or your people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I thought it was really crucial this idea of really connecting urban and rural centers of like feeling, feeling for the first time in the course of history that these toiling townsfolk were his comrades, his brethren and not his exploiters. That's huge. Like if we could do that, like that's the fucking ball game. Yeah. 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 And it reminds me of the kind of the chaos that early revolutionary Russia faced. Um, and then later with collectivization in the thirties is that antagonism between the cities and, and the countryside caused a lot of destruction. You know, and so this would be one way to get around that is this this working together of free exchange. And he talks about, you know, oh, the, you know, these these rural villages, they need a lot of stuff from the city. I mean, they need lamps, they need electrification, they need all this stuff that, that they can. It's not that they don't want. They're not rubes and just they're, they're just, you know, well, I've always been, you know, perfectly fine. They just can't without, afford it. Yeah, it's, it's they can't afford it. <laughs> they don't have the infrastructure. Like, and you see that like in modern times, too. This is not just a, you know, olden time situation. Like there is the rural urban divide. And a lot of it comes down to like, yeah, we're exploiting, you know, every time you turn on a fucking light switch, you're exploiting someone who works in the energy sector, you know, and it's like and they can't afford nice things because of it. Yeah. It, jumping to the next section here, because I really liked this kind of revelation. When you think about trade, you're like, well, you trade whatever it is you're really good at. So like whatever you have extra of, right? You're like, I'm good at rice. I make a lot of rice and I sell the extra rice that I have. Mountains of rice, too much rice, you know, (laughs) really trying to clear up some space to walk here. So I figured I'd trade the rest, right? 
that's apparently not how it works. Uh, <laughs> it's not that like Russia only grows wheat and it's like the best at wheat and that's why it sells so much wheat. It's that like people take the wheat from the peasants and the peasant has to like eat bullshit. <laughs> like they're not eating enough. Yes. The countries that are exporting these various goods of any sort, cotton to make clothes with, their people are in rags. Food of any kind, their people are starving because those people can't afford to pay what the capitalists demand for that food. Yeah, and you throw in imperialism there, you get a whole, that whole rigmarole of like, oh, we'll take the raw goods and sell you the finished goods for like triple the price, fuck you, you know? Yes, yeah. So, yeah, again, we can't just import this food from other places because, you know, what if they haven't done the revolution? They're still doing capitalism. When we are not doing imperialism to these other countries, you know, they're going to be able to develop on their own instead of having, you know, to bear our yoke down on their on their shoulders and everything. Yeah, and he gets into that later, too, the whole chapter on, like, industrialization and all that. Uh, he does mention that for the countryside agricultural production might initially just drop off. I think that makes sense. Like shit's going to be crazy for a minute and you know, we're not going to have international trade and we really like depend on that, especially in the food supply. Like you're not going to have your fancy kiwi and your avocados. Sorry. Yeah, things would suck for a little bit to be yeah, honest. I, I would be pretty sad about that. <laughs> What's your most luxurious fruit pick? I like kiwi. Kiwi's good. Yeah. I minus figs. Figs. I'm not a big they fig person. They have those all over the place in Game of Thrones. And I'm like, it is pretty royal. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, okay, well, like the solution for that is like just the cities use, he just talks about in Paris, just like use some of the parks and shit. Start growing stuff in the parks. <laughs> yeah. Um, green space. Take over golf courses. <laughs> where, oh, hell yeah, for sure. <laughs> and he's And he then gets, you know, kind of techno utopian. I don't know. Like he, because he starts talking about like, let's, Let's use all this science, all this technology. I mean, we can make the... <laughs> it does go very techno. What's wild, though, is it reads kind of weird. But, I mean, if he were seeing what we're doing today, this is exactly what he's talking about, you know? Yes. Like, he kind of predicts solar power. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's pretty wild. And, like, geothermal and wind mm -hmm. energy, he's like, yeah, let's just do that. And you're like, bro, what, what year is it? Are you okay? <laughs> yeah. So, it's, you know, people reading then must have been like, Let's just do magic. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> hell, we could totally do his, his methods here and, and have really intensive agriculture and stuff at the local level. And he kind of makes it sound fun. You know, it's, it's, you're still struggling for survival and all that, but he makes it sound like <laughs> it's cool. I don't know. So, yeah, I like this. It's, it's the idea of like, well, first off, you're only doing it for like four to five hours a day. That ain't that long. I probably only actually work four hours oh, a day in real Oh, most people do, life. yeah. Most people, yeah. <laughs> Don't tell my boss. But the conditions are going to be really good. You're going to be outside. It's basically a free fucking exercise program. And gardening's supposed to be really good for, like, your mental health. And, like, doesn't it, like, stave off Alzheimer's or some shit? It could. I'm not sure. I don't know. Do a Google on that one, y'all. I don't. I did not fact check that. <laughs> but it is supposed to be. It's supposed to be very good for you. Millions of people have this as a hobby. It can't be like that shitty. Even if it's a little shitty, you're only doing it for a few. Well, hours. Yeah, but even if you're, even if it is shitty, you're doing it for a few hours. You have changed the social relations. Yeah, you're not doing it for Monsanto. You're doing it for your dinner. Exactly. You're not doing this just to, you know, as part of someone ripping you off, you know, of someone 
taking most of it for themselves and giving you the scraps. Like you're doing this wholly for yourself and for your fellow people. I have very bad allergies, so being outside that long would be kind of shitty. But if <laughs> if we could get the supply chain on on, we need to expropriate the Zyrtec for for this to work for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. It's it's a it, he paints a cool picture, and he kind of gets into some of this stuff later too. But the combination of agriculture and industry, that's that technology infusion, you know, the husbandman and the mechanic and the same individual. This is what anarchist communism will inevitably lead us to. If it starts with fair expropriation. And he says, dare, dare, and yet again, dare. Very poetic. Very poetic. I love (laughs) it. Okay, I think let's wrap it up there. And we'll be back next week with with the rest of this big old book. Yeah, we still got a lot to go. But I think that we we covered, uh, like we said at the beginning, we covered the main thesis and kind of the outline for, okay, initial revolution time. What are we going to do? Got the food part taken care of. Next, we'll get That's into uh, we'll get into clothing everyone and getting everyone a house, and then figuring out Art. some yeah yeah figuring out the higher order things that are necessary for our human condition and necessary for us to thrive. Love it. So that'll be next week. Tune in for that. In the meantime, you can find us on the internet. We are on Twitter at Teach Communism, Instagram at Teach Me Communism. You can shoot us an email, teachmecommunism at gmail.com. If you're like, hey, that wasn't Marxist Leninist enough, or like, hey, that was not anarchist enough, whatever the fuck. Um, <laughs> yeah. We accept questions, episode suggestions, and thoughtful feedback. Or thoughtless feedback. That's fine too. <laughs> That's cool. You can just tell me that I'm just cool without any evidence. That's fine. Yeah, don't feel the need to, to think it think it over too hard. Yeah, just be like, I love you. That's great. <laughs> and if you want to be public about telling me how much you love me, you can and should do that on Apple reviews. You don't have to be an Apple user to leave a review. So just go to their podcast app and just do it. It's very easy. does not take long. Rate and review. They will appreciate it, as will I. Yes, definitely. <laughs> We're also on YouTube, if that's how you prefer to listen to podcasts, or if you know someone, like, that's the only way they'll listen to it, send them that way. And finally, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash teachmecommunism. For five bucks a month, you get access to all of our notes from the backlog and for for this book. So for this, that means you'll be getting my dummy summary of the whole book. I'll probably upload it in two parts since we are doing it in two parts. I don't want any cheaters yeah, out there. Yeah, we don't want you to get ahead and realize how much I'm cribbing from my notes. Yeah, right? You'll just be like, oh, I don't need to listen to the part two. Yeah. Which, I mean, <laughs> so if you're that. already a subscriber, you realize how much I'm reciting. I just, that's how I think, man. I write it out, so. <laughs> I know. I know. You're such a you're such a verbal person. I'm I like, I need a picture. <laughs> And after both episodes, we'll upload our my marked up PDF complete with stupid cartoon doodles. <laughs> They're great. Thank you. And at the end of the year, the money from that Patreon goes to local mutual aid funds in the DFW area. So thanks for joining me in our not so secret communist book club here. <laughs> it's a pretty obvious one. Yeah. That reminds me, we're releasing T-shirts. Hell yeah. When this comes out, our store will be live. So you just go to T Public and search for Teach Me Communism, and we have shirts. I haven't quite figured out like their payout system, but that's probably going to go to mutual aid too. Like I don't need any money, so cool. Yeah, I, I don't have any big plans for it. <laughs> we can link it in the show notes. So yeah, there's lots of stuff there. There's a DeLeon shirt. There's a 
gay space communism shirt, an imperialism sucks shirt, which I really like. Hell yeah. So yeah, check them out. Awesome. Yeah, they're great designs. I love it. Okay, thanks. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> I really like the Secret Communist Book Club one. That one's pretty funny. Yeah. That's enough of me complimenting me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank you, listeners, for tuning in this week. You can catch us next week on another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. Bye. Goodbye.